Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Elixir Mix. This week on our panel, we have Alan Wyma. Hello, hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week, we're talking to Mason McLeod. Mason, now we talked, I'm just going to do a little bit of an intro here. We talked last week on Adventures in DevOps about developer productivity and stuff like that. And I, I had so much fun just talking through it and getting stories and stuff that I thought we'd invite you back on some of the other shows. So yeah, why don't you go ahead and fill people in a little bit more on some of the details that I left out and then we can jump in and start talking. Sounds good. And thanks for having me back. I remember working my tail off to become a senior developer. I read every book I could get my hands on. I went to any conference I could and watched the videos about the things that I thought I needed to learn. And eventually I got that senior developer job. And then I realized that the rest of my career looked just like where I was now. I mean, where was the rush I got from learning? What was I supposed to do to keep growing? And then I found it. I got the chance to mentor some developers. I started a podcast and helped many more developers. I did screencasts and helped even more developers. I kind of became a dev hero. And now I want to help you become one too. And if you're looking forward to something more than doing the same thing at a different job three years from now, then join the Dev Heroes Accelerator. I'll walk you through the process of building and growing a following and finding people that you can uniquely help as you build the next stage of your career. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. My name is Mason. I'm CTO at software.com. We make tools for developers and dealing with developer efficiency and tracking time and seeing where your effort, your energy and your time are going throughout your day and setting up tools for continuous improvement for teams and individuals and tools to help you focus and, and those sorts of things. And yeah, so, you know, as you're saying last week, we had a great chat about all of the interesting data that we've seen around developer efficiency and what uh, impacts it the most. And yeah, happy to talk about more. Yep, absolutely. So I'm a little curious to kind of start this off on a little different uh, note. But what's the story behind software.com? Because I'm kind of curious how you get to, hey, let's go tell people what they should be doing to be more efficient, right? I mean, we've yeah. seen code tools, we've seen linters, we've seen static analysis, but this is a little bit different. And so I'm, I'm a little curious, you know, how, how do you get to this place? And then how do you know what's working? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, especially with a name like software.com, that could be anything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's pretty broad. So. You know, how, what we came to with this is, you know, I've led and built pretty large teams up to a hundred engineers across multiple locations. And one of the things that gets really challenging when you do that is knowing if the system that you've built in order to have all those people working in the same place and on the same sets of code bases is is actually working for the people that you've hired. And the, the main thing that you come across is that there's very little insight, very little visibility into what happens during the development process. There's other tools out there that, that you can get that will look at, you know, get stuff and PR timing mm -hmm. and cycle time is a big thing that comes out of that. And it's very useful. If you look at Dora, which is the DevOps research assessment, came out of the book Accelerate by Gene Kim and several of the authors. They do research on this and they came up with four metrics that generally tell if a team is doing well at, at software development. And lead time is one of those metrics and, and it's used a lot. So, you know, we came into that viewpoint about being able to observe the development process in order to help people understand where it's where bits of it aren't working so that you can actually focus in on that because there's a lot of there's a lot of system frustration and friction and a lot of personal frustration that goes in when you work really hard and you write a lot of code and you build to spec and then it just can't get through the development pipeline for weeks due to all sorts of issues that can come up whether it's a slow CI process, your test framework is flaky, you know, all sorts of things that could be affecting it. Having that top level observability about where the time delays are 
in that process allows you to actually go in and fix those issues. And I think a lot of people feel them on an individual level when you work, you, you know, you do your work and then it hits QA and it takes forever for that turnaround to come around, depending on how you've got your QA team set up within your org. And so people, I think, have anecdotes about that, about how their work has gone through. But being able to see it at a system level and quantify it, it really empowers the team itself the, and the people that can make individuals individual investments in those parts of the development cycle. It can really guide that conversation and point to ways to make the, the process better for everyone. And so, you know, that's that's the main mission there. And I think it's both sides of the same coin here, where if you have a more efficient process that gets more quality work through at a more efficient rate, then generally myself as an engineer, I would be happier in that situation than one that's filled with friction and frustration trying to get my work through. So I think the main missions that we have are being able to help people to develop a more efficient system for them to work in, better habits for them to work in, and in doing so, increase their overall happiness with what they're doing day to day. Yeah, I think it's interesting just talking. I mean, you've talked about a lot there, but the cycle time and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that you're bringing up there are things that, in particular, uh, my development team has been fighting a little bit, and so it's been interesting to kind of see some of this stuff, you know, as, as you're bringing it up. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, well, I was going to ask, what are they fighting about with that? Because I, there's some there's some things in there with how certain tools do it that that I've got some opinions on. Well, essentially, the thing that we had the big powwow about this afternoon was so our we get done with our development process and we have finished up a handful of features that the business is not yet ready to deploy, mm-hmm. and so they're just sitting there in our current sprint and they have been in whatever the current sprint is for the last few weeks. And odds are pretty good that they're going to sit in there for the next few sprints. And basically what we're waiting on is for certain processes to happen so that they can get QA. And so, yeah, you were just talking about kind of the hangups and the speed or efficiency of the process and things like that. And they're going, yeah, yeah, we're going through that right now. So, yeah. So you're, you're feeling it personally and your team members are feeling it. Oh yeah. You had, if you had a number, that you could say this cost us 24 hours every time, or it costs us two weeks every time that this happens, you can really start to highlight the costs of that lag time and the costs of that friction within Mm -hmm. your system at sort of a business level, which at the end of the day, software engineers build businesses. Like we express it through code and the features that we build and UIs. But for what we're being employed to do, we're building a business. And right, the more efficiently that you can get work product out in a high quality manner, the better generally the business ha- is going to do, or at least have a chance to do. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think if if you're able to take that situation that you've got right now, quantify the time that whatever the hangup is, is causing it to it to be lagging behind and being stalled, then you've got a now you've got like a business case for investing in whatever it right. takes to fix that issue. Yeah, I like that. And and it's interesting too, because I mean, and I'll I'll just fill it in here. I wonder a little bit how much I should be going into because I usually don't talk about what's going on at work. <laughs> but I, I don't think it really matters that much. But yeah, I mean what it really costs us is, is when we do our sprint planning for the next week, you know, it costs us an extra 20 minutes probably is all. Beyond that, it just kind of sits and languishes in our backlog and probably drives my boss's boss a little bit nuts because I know that he watches that stuff. But yeah, outside of that, it's it's not a major cost. So maybe it's not worth freaking out or fighting over too much other than that we don't like looking at it and seeing that we have a handful of open loops there. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, either way, being able to quantify it will tell you what yeah. 
or at least help you get to that informed answer about what you need to do about it. Right. But I like that too, because then it's, yeah, it's, it's costing us this much time and therefore we can make, yeah, a case to the, the people who pay for stuff <laughs> to pay for stuff, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that when I talk about this and in my own history of rolling these sorts of things out, there's sometimes a reticence about tracking those sorts of things at that detail because it starts to feel a bit big brothery that now you're being mm. boiled down to metrics as an individual. And that's not actually how a lot of value is measured through these, through these metrics at an individual level. So one of the approaches that we took to, to this domain was that individual data is only for the individual to view. Mm-hmm. And we always do roll-ups and aggregations at the team level because you're really, as a manager of a team or multiple teams, being able to see what that team is doing at an aggregate over time, like that's going to tell you all that you need to know about how your work product is going through and how the process is working for the people rather than having an infinite stack rank of your engineers compared to each other, which no one likes being in. I had done that before. The first time I rolled out a tool like this years ago, it gave me and actually only me, and I was advised not to give anyone else access to this because the data was so sensitive that, but it was a, it was a list of everyone's attributes and how they were coding and stack rank them all in terms of their contributions and outputs and those sorts of things, only taking into account the metrics that it could see. So it's it's missing a lot of context. And within two months, because of course I told the team that I had this and was looking at this, within two months they hated it so much that I rolled it back out. Mm-hmm. And I've heard a lot of other similar stories about people rolling out tools like this and getting a bit of a revolt from the engineers on the team because it feels weird to be tracked at that level and not having access to it. So, you know, some of the principles that that we took into this was individual data for individuals, team data for everyone, and there are no manager views for anything. Everyone gets access to it. If you're being if you're being measured as part of the team, you then you see it. Um, and I think democratizing that data helps to make those decisions across multiple viewpoints of it and all the people that are involved get to get to be involved with this aspect as well. I like it. I'm curious in Alan's case, because Alan, you work differently than than I do, right? Because full-time job here, you you know, you're contracting and, and doing work that way. I mean, how, how do you measure your productivity? I don't. I, well, the way I measure it is basically, you've heard of the WTFs per minute, right? So for me, it's kind of like complaints <laughs> per, per client, right? As long as the client is happy, that's to me the the biggest productivity part, right? And as long as we can kind of handle any kind of issue that pops up, because I do find it difficult to track how are we doing code wise, right? But in the end, I mean, if you look at some of the code or some of the products that we have to use at different companies or even now, the quality is so poor, but we keep paying them because mm-hmm. yeah, we we need their product, right? But like, I, I just was taking a look at your at your tool, right? And mm-hmm. I can see. No matter what, there's always going to be some, it's not going to be 100% perfect, right? Sure. I can only imagine, well, I used to work at a bank and to give you an idea, like I used to work at at what at the cost allocation part. So is that everybody had to pay, right? So these guys would make sales and the sales guys would have to pay all the cost people, right? Software developers are cost. They're not really out there making deals. And so they actually had their own bucket. So we had one bucket for salaries, one bucket for supplies, you know, desks or whatever. And then also another bucket because it was so much bigger, which was IT salaries and then IT costs, you know, servers and everything else. And all these managers every year, because of course they're finance guys would say, what are we paying for? How do we know if they're actually working out or not? Because we have bugs, we got this, we don't know who it is. I mean, it could be anybody, right? It could be some guy meddling, right? And so they try to bring in a tool, just like kind of what you said. And the best thing they could do was analyze and get repositories. Yeah. But here's the issue. To give you an idea of kind of how we work is that we actually did a lot of pair programming. So mm-hmm. whoever committed was being productive. Whoever wasn't committing because they were, you know, pair programming was not productive. Yeah. Uh, the other thing too is we had lots of meetings because basically there was no BA. It was just us and our 
our team that we're developing for. And we would have a lot of conversations, which of course are not being put into Git. So this right. is an issue. And the other thing too is in some teams, some of the most productive guys were the guys who were doing YAML configurations. So they mm-hmm. kept, every time they changed configuration, they were getting points. And then sometimes they would just be doing <laughs> the, the typical change a few lines here, commit it and push it up. And then they were getting praise from their managers, right? Yeah. So I, mean, I kind of worry about, no matter what, There's it's difficult to track, right? Like to me, the most important thing is, are your users happy? Are they actually coming back and using the system? That's the most important metric to me. I mean, there's times when I have to spend a lot of time on Stack Overflow. Now, am I not in the zone according to your tool? I mean, I don't think I see something over here that tracks that kind of part. Or am I on Facebook, right? Playing around, right? How do you kind of make sure that you're actually doing, you're in the zone or you're productive or what's going on? And also like something's failing somewhere that's actually is causing an issue that's not part of your IDE or these other things are being tracked. How do you handle this kind of stuff? Yeah. So I, there's a lot there. I'll, I'll try to take it from the top as best as I can recall. So you know, you're describing about that team bringing in Git tracking and and then all of a sudden people are optimizing for commits, commit count and being praised for it. So like if you I've put seen out, this too. yeah, whatever number you put out as the top line number, that's what people will optimize for. So you have to be really careful about what number you put up there as the thing that people are being measured by. And one of the things that we put in our team tools is that anything that is one of those numbers is always a, it's a composite of multiple things put into context. Cause that's the part that's really missing. Cause like when you were saying that the way that you generally measure is are your clients happy is are issues being addressed, kind of closing out, like customer focused, right? So, I mean, that if you look at how physical manufacturing measures these sorts of things, which is where all, a lot of these concepts come from, they're just being applied to software development. It starts, it's called value stream mapping. There's a lot of books on it. They're a little bit boring, but they're, they're okay. It starts at the customer request. It goes through the factory and the shipping and the tooling and cost centers and lag time and all that stuff. And then it ends with the customer being delivered what they asked for. That's the cycle. That's the lead time whenever they talk about it. And it's completely customer focused. And it takes an abstract high level view of the system that it takes to satisfy the customer. And I think that's exactly the right approach for software development as well. As best as you can get to customer focused metrics of how how well are we delivering to our customer throughout you know two weeks two weeks sprints or a month long cycle or whatever it is that you do as a team and how consistent is that and and what are the, what are the costs along the way those are the big things that we look to measure not like how many commits did you get through because that doesn't actually mean much so you know, when you, you've got to be really careful about putting a score out there in, into these kinds of tools or an hour tracker, like as you've seen from our website, you know, we, we track active code time and code time, which is active code times when you're actively editing code times when you're in the editor doing research, reviewing those sorts of things. And there's some buffer times on there in order to catch those behaviors of looking at stack overflow and then coming back once you've got the answer and keeping that session going. But that's those times are on the individual level for the individual to know when during the day they're spending that time, how many sessions they're getting in, what's the quality of those sessions, and being able to kind of iterate on their own behaviors there. And that's that's for the individual. We'll roll that up and do averages and totals for the team. So you can see what is the team throughput on this when is the team generally working throughout the day? If you need to optimize your meeting schedule to when people actually get work done, that's a big thing that you can pull from that hourly tracking data. But that's not like performance measurement. Because if, like if, for instance, if you have in on a Tuesday, you've got, which would be a very big number, five hours of active code time where you're writing code. And that creates one PR that gets through in like a week time on cycle. That might not be 
a good thing. That could be perhaps if you also can do or someone else is doing two hours and they get that much code through. All of a sudden, that five hours of active code time doesn't look so good once you put it in context of everything that's that's happening in the system. So that's that's one of the things that you've got to be really careful about with these systems is that you're not looking at the component metrics and trying to optimize for those because without the context of the entire system, they don't really mean very much. And and so that's that's you know the approach that we take whenever we look at those things and start to roll them up into things that start to matter. And as best as we can, looking at what's the edge of the development system that customers start to in, interact with what you've just built. And usually that's a deploy or merging into your default branch and that gets rolled out to production. So that's kind of addressing the, like having the wrong metrics up and people optimizing and gaming the system for that. And then, you know, with with the tools that we've got right now, we know we can measure time that you're spent in meetings and measure coming soon. We've got Slack integrations that are coming. We're testing it internally with our data right now, seeing what that noise does to active code time sessions. And perhaps it sometimes it helps, sometimes it hurts. So figuring that out and seeing the impact of all those things. There's a lot of sort of correlations and really interesting things that you can bring out from gathering that data in. And so it's all of that is really just to say that it's about bringing the context around those individual measurements so that they start to make sense in context of, and I realize I use that word a lot right there, <laughs> in the realm of delivering quality software to your user at the end of the day. And that's that's the main goal there is being a, how well is it going? How is it trending? You know, I think that with with the individual things that you can see, you can kind of get a snapshot if you see our cycle time this week was four days to get PRs through from first code all the way to, to merging to default branch. But if I can see a trend of what it has been for the last 90 days, then I can get something to manage on. Was that, is that four days an improvement? Is that a decline? Is that steady? Is that steady with a growing team? Or we lost a member of the team? Like all of those parts really contextualize what that number means and that's 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 the trickier part to get from these tools and the the part to, that I think is the most important I was going to ask you know can you get that number out of your project management system we're using Jira which I despise but you know I mean whatever whatever you're using yeah a few of those numbers you can the thing that is always the case with Jira or any of those tools that do similar things, the timing of them are estimations based on when a ticket status got moved. And it might be hooked up to your GitHub webhooks and it's got automation and those sorts of things. And that makes it more accurate, but it's still an estimation around those sorts of things. So to get the actual time and also to get time that that can't capture, such as how much timing or how much time in coding did it take to build this feature and then get it through? How many, I mean, we measured down to like keystroke and characters added and pasted and, and oh man, <laughs> uh, auto indents and replacements and, you know, all sorts of really minute details that we roll up into sort of an, an overall activity of what's going on. But it gives you sort of a, a characteristic of what type of work went into it. And then you can start getting some interesting stats around, you know, PRs that have mostly copy paste stuff take this long versus ones that are kind of handwritten, they take that long. And I, one of the interesting things that we found with our Git data is that as lines of code in a PR increases, generally the time to review increases, there's nothing new there. But when it hits 500 lines, so we have like groupings of 100 to 250, 250 to 500, that kind of increased linearly. But when you went to 500 to 750, the time to review went 10x. It didn't, it didn't double or one and a half as, as the lines do. You actually hit a wall right there. And now it's spanning a couple days. 
that the review is taking, either because no one wants to go look at it because it's a lot of code to go read, or it's too long to do in one day. So it's now it's split over two and it's delaying that more. So there's there's certain sort of pivot points that you can see or points of inflection in the characteristic of the code that's coming into the, the development process that you can start to build some habits around and figure out ways to make the entire process more efficient. Yeah, I'm just worried about people getting the full context, right? I mean, things happen and people, whenever you have numbers, people just look at the number and then without any context, people <laughs> just come up with whatever they want, right? Yep. That's I remember, the tricky part. I remember working with, or a friend of mine was working on a team where it was velocity, right? So it was the number of stories or number of story points that were getting done, right? And they kind of hit their cadence and they were doing all right with the story points and they their number of story points was pretty steady, you know, and would fluctuate a little but was actually generally going up, but it was just generally going up very, very slowly. And the CTO started getting on their case about how many story points. And so some of the members of the team started inflating the number of story points they'd vote to see that number go up just to make this guy happy, right? And that doesn't help anybody. <laughs> and so I, I agree with Alan to the extent that, yeah, you know, we're all going to see those numbers and we're all going to be playing the game with the numbers. I try and be honest about it, but the reality is, is that I'm influenced by it too. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, at the same time though, I want something that's easy for me to look at and go, oh, I can do better there. And so, and right. usually that is a number. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's human nature. That's exactly what's going to happen when you put a number up there. And you have to be aware of that fact and accept that that is going to happen. And be extra careful about which number you do put up there because people will start to optimize for it. Mm -hmm. If it's a number that is sufficiently complex enough and takes in enough variables such that it will promote more often than not a better set of behaviors throughout the development process that improves the outcome, then game that number because mm -hmm. it will generally improve the behaviors in the process and make the better outcomes. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the holy grail of what all these tools are trying to get to is like, what's the thing that I can put in front of people that gets a better outcome as they optimize that number and looking at the efficiency of code going through the process, looking at the, the, the cycle time per developer on the team. So as the team scales, is that getting better or worse? Are you like getting diminishing returns as your team size goes up? Those sorts of numbers that, that aren't just the raw values, those start to actually dial into the behaviors that you want because they produce better outcomes. And then you can have people optimize for that and generally have a good result from it. Reminds me a little bit about how people talk about like uh, tax breaks or tax incentives, right? Is where, yeah, yeah. You, you want that number to go down, right? Because it's money out of your bank account. And so, yeah, they give you breaks for everything from owning a home to having kids to all kinds of stuff, right? And it's it's to improve the overall percentage of people who are doing those things or the number of those things out there because it reflects certain other outcomes in the overall economy that they hope will improve it. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes it's because they're paying off the people they like. I mean, it's politics, but either way, right? The, the idea is the same, is that I want more of this behavior, and so I'm going to incentivize it in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, that's what people do in management. Whenever you make a review, like an annual review or semi-annual review, mm -hmm. you ask particular questions of people and for people to answer about their peers or their managers, because you're trying to incentivize certain behaviors that those questions are angling at. Mm -hmm. It's very much the same thing in that way, just without being attached to a review. I don't think you should attach these metrics to a review especially when it's at an aggregated team level, Rev doing reviews is like a, a human process when you're managing other people. But it's 
these are just the incentives and disincentives that that are in place to to have things hopefully work out better overall in in the aggregate and that's yeah very much playing by the same rules of of psychology there yeah and i think on on the other side of that other than the human side of how people interact with the development system and also is that system working well for the people in it like if you switch to a new ci provider because they had faster boxes to run your tests and easier configuration and and whatever it is you can see the difference in how fast the tests run kind of in isolation between the two and you can see like my test runs drop by 10% and that's that's definitely a good outcome but seeing how that impacts the overall system as well is something that you can really start to validate okay how did that impact the entire process because again as you were saying it's all about those customer outcomes and if you've got a measurement that is giving you a pointer to are we doing well at that and how is that increasing or decreasing and you switch out a tool now you've got a way to measure is that tool helping us achieve better customer outcomes and you could do the same thing with different tools from the individual developer you can do that with no beating wednesdays or switching out your communication tools to something that's less noisy or something like that all of a sudden you can start to run experiments on the system in order to see how that is affecting your process in order to have better outcomes for the customer there so it seeing these sorts of metrics and being able to have that observability of the process gives you a lot more ability to run those kind of experiments around different tooling around different setups for behavior on meetings and other things that impact the time that people have hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after christmas 2020 without the ads signing up will help us pay for editing and production and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So what what are some what are some major wins? You talked about meetings, which is a pet peeve of mine, right? But and so I'm hoping you're gonna say don't have meetings. But I mean beyond that, yeah, what are kind of the big obvious things? You know, you're aggregating data across probably hundreds, thousands of teams, right? So mm-hmm. so what are the impacting factors, right? What are they measuring? And then yeah, what are the things that are making what they measure not reflect what they want? So they can change stuff right because ultimately that's what this is for right yeah exactly it's this is all about seeing what's going on so that you can make changes that affect it positively and i mean if you look at meetings in particular which is for developers always a pet peeve i think probably yeah (laughs) you know every time that i bring up the the data that we see about a so we can see a session that kind of ramps up in terms of their someone's velocity about what they're doing in the editor. They're kind of building that mental model in their mind. They're getting to a peak speed and they're staying there in their session. And then there's a meeting in their calendar and it goes back to zero because they either get Mm -hmm. interrupted by a reminder for that meeting. Someone taps them on the shoulder, pings them about it. And whether or not they go, they've been disrupted and now they've got to start that session again and it build that mental model and bring it back up. That's definitely a big driver that we see in the data that limits the amount of time that people have to get those really concentrated and deep sessions of work in, which is where we see a disproportionate amount of the actual output come from is those deeper sessions rather than the shorter, shallower ones, even if there's a lot of those, and it makes it more time, you can get a lot more done in a two hour session than you can in four 30 minute ones, even though the time is equal. And so big wins that you can come away with is restructuring at a team level, if you can, or your own schedule meetings, just push them to the edges, either they're all in the morning, and then you've got uninterrupted stretches. Because what we've seen on our global data across our all of our user base, is that between nine and 11, and three and five are the peak times that people are able to have those those deeper sessions. So it's you know just before lunch and, and a little bit after lunch that they've got that. So if you can clear up those times, 
for your engineering team or for yourself, then you're at a higher likelihood of having higher quality sort of flow sessions during that time and being able to to produce code in a better way and, and be more satisfied with the day because you were able to accomplish things. And in the same vein, Wednesdays tend to have the highest count of of sessions and active code time overall globally as well. So being able to limit how much you interrupt people for that entire day would be great. And if you can get Wednesday and Thursday, that's awesome as well. And push the the heavy communication days to Mondays, Tuesdays, Fridays, something like that. But really just having distinct times for different activities. Because everyone's talking about multitasking and being able to do lots of things at once. And there's plenty of research that's come out in recent books and sorts of things that really show that our brains aren't wired for that at all. And there's a, a tax that goes along with switching contexts. Whenever you go from one task to another, you know, within in quick succession, your your mind stays with whatever task it had started and hadn't finished. And so if you're doing three things at once, you're carrying a tax of two other activities whenever you're doing the one that you're focused on at that moment. So switching a model from having lots of different things happening through the day to one or two things and single tasking on those specific things gets you a, a disproportionate boost in efficiency and output based on what we can measure when you have your behavior set up in that way. So one of the an easy thing to do there, possibly easy, depending on your control of the schedule, is getting all the meetings done early morning or late afternoon, and then keeping the rest of it clear to perform one or two well-defined tasks that you've got ahead of you and not switching around between them. Cool. Yeah, I'm into that uninterrupted time. Yeah. Alan, does this line up with your experience? I mean, it's it's tough to have uninterrupted time because yeah, people are always pinging you. I got a client who's always asking about his product all the time, which I get annoyed because I'm like, man, we 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 define this whole product according to what you asked for, right? Let me let me remind you again, this is all the things going on. And I get it, right? It's hard to keep all the details in your mind, but we get these kind of questions and also you get these kind of He's also trying to figure out his product fit in certain places. So he's also saying, what about this and what about that? And it's it's really difficult, right? It is. Yeah. I mean, we we have a society in general and in the business that we're in, I think in particular, where communication is expected to be instant. And whenever you send a Slack or a text to someone, you're expecting an answer quickly, like within a minute. And the thing about that is that you're setting up the expectation that whenever like whenever your client texts you about the status of his project he's implying that that text is the most important thing that you could possibly be doing at that moment and as a developer who's building his whole like he's you're building his business you're the the product for his business it's probably not like it's it's highly likely that answering the text is not, especially if you're coding on that thing at the moment. Like unless it's completely changed and he has to tell you about it now because whatever you were working on is now completely scrapped and it's, and it's shifting completely, which doesn't happen that often, that text or that Slack or that email is probably not the most important thing that's going on at that moment. And it can get dealt with in a bit whenever you're done with that thought or you're done with, with that task. And he would have probably a better answer to come back to if he left you alone for a bit and and you you would be able to get that work done in a in a deeper session and it's like my wife has a master's in psychology so i get all these phrases thrown at me throughout our years of marriage and one of the things that she's taught me is that we teach people how to treat us by how we interact with them and what we we let them get away with and me included, and I think pretty much everyone else, because we answer to those questions and to those pings and to those slacks so quickly, because the communication tool is designed for that. So you're using it correctly whenever you do that. 
but it sets up that loop that the expectation is there that they send the message, they get the reply. They send the message, they get the reply. And it's actually really disruptive to the behavior that we need in order to get really focused work done and build complex systems that we do. And that takes deep, uninterrupted focus time. And that's the, I think, one of the big challenges of the environment that we find ourselves in with that, that those are such at odds with the things that we build and how we have to build them. I mean, there's there's also another thing to it too, because there could be an actual production issue. So we are, this particular product is actually a B2C and there could be a bug somewhere because we're constantly adding new features and we have a mobile app aspect, which once you get it out there, it's hard to get people to update. Mm-hmm. So we have to constantly keep things kind of well, kind of flowing. And so there is times where those things happen or, or I'm actually just taking a break and I'm okay to answer questions, right? So it's difficult to, I understand what you're saying. Like you want to, you know, stop people from bugging you at certain times. And like you said, setting the expectation. If I answer this time, then it's going to, or sorry, let me say from the other side, right? If he answers when I ask him at this time or whenever during the daytime, then he's going to probably answer whenever it should be okay because there was no boundary set, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, yeah, I, I understand all that. Yeah, and emergencies happen and production bugs deserve immediate attention and those sorts of things, like those sets of tools with chat ops and pagers and pager duty and those sorts of things, those work. And they work really well, especially when they're set up right for true emergencies getting through. You can rally the team, you can jump on it. Like I've done that many times and that's absolutely the right choice to make there. There's, I think, a blurring about what's urgent and what's not that has kind of taken over a bit. And, you know, there's there's particular features in Slack now that are starting to kind of go the other way with that you can set specified times that you're away you can do your do not disturb mode and then they if someone messages you multiple times then it'll send you a notification or they can choose to send you a notification even though you have them turned off at the moment so i think tools like that are starting to get the kind of the safeguard the time safeguards in place and that's actually one of the tools that we have we call it flow mode in the editor you click a button and it will mute all the notifications in Slack and it puts a, a little purple icon as your status so that everyone else can see that you're in a flow mode right now and not to bother you. And then when you come out of it, then they can ask you questions and, and things like that. So it's it's about setting that expectation as well as using the available tools to mute notifications and set side of time in the calendar and kind of makes make that space for yourself, but still have it be able to be sort of pierced if there is really an emergency going on and you need to respond to it. It's tough to say, like, what's an emergency, right? Somebody, you know, people will think it's an emergency when maybe it's really not, according to you. I also always get a knock at my door. So I'm at a situation, maybe I'm one of the few companies where everybody over here actually asks us not to work remotely. So everybody in the oh. company does not want to work remotely. It's very weird, right? But if you think about it, so I'm living in Hong Kong and to give you an idea, my home is about 400 square feet for my mm-hmm. apartment and I'm paying about 1400 bucks a month, right? So it's pretty prime real estate. And so that is actually kind of a little bit luxury out here to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And so people, yeah, they don't want to work at home because a lot of them have, you know, their mom stays at home or or whatever, or even other people are also working from home. There's just no space, right? And so yeah. they kind of beg that I want to come to the office because I cannot work at home or my mom's trying to give me snacks or talk to me about whatever. I hear that a lot from, from my developer. And yeah. And so, yeah, people are begging us to come to work. And then, you know, you also kind of need, you know, if you're taking a break, you also kind of want to have your water cooler talk right so it's mm-hmm. it's difficult or like i gotta because i i own the company right so i have to deal with all the admin stuff right so i was gonna knock at the door can you help me with this or can you write this check or can you check this document yeah uh, it's really difficult right and and i wish there was a way i could connect this flow to my door and just shut it yeah so we we actually had someone 
Uh, I work from home. I have the same problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right? I think your daughter's walked in once or twice or something. And yeah, I understand yeah. what you mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. My mom's always coming in, giving me snacks. I don't live with my mom anymore. I, I was going to say, <laughs> I don't feel bad for you if that's the case. No, I'm married and have an eight-year-old. is full-grown adult. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's two things there. One, Alan, you're in a slightly different situation because you are the owner of the company. And your time kind of as as is necessary for at least a, a portion of it or a large portion of it, perhaps, depending on on how many people are in it, has to be split up because you need to be addressing everything that's going on so that they can have the focus time and and do the deep work. If you're still doing the coding, like when I was a consultant, I had someone that I hired out in the Midwest and I managed them and I coded and you know I had to split that time and and figure that out. But you've got a portion of your job that requires you to have the split attention and to be able to address everything that's going on, put out all the fires, write the checks, make sure that there's enough office space for the new people and set that up and do visits and all the things that has to go on to run a company on top of it. And then if you're still coding and, and making software, you've got to have that like mode switch where it goes into, okay, now I'm putting aside that role and going into dev role, which requires that focus and that quiet in order to, to do that well. But we we actually had someone automate his entire room with our flow mode. So he hooked into a webhook that that was coming off of Slack and dimmed his his lights. He had like the I forget which brand, but you know, the the remote controlled lights. He turned it purple, dimmed the room, and then locked the door. <laughs> and so like he was able to like click a button, turn everything down, get into focus mode, keep the door shut. And and like have the entire space be in flow mode. I thought it was really cool. But I mean, sometimes you you need that. I'm, traditionally, offices have individual offices where you work with a door for a reason. Like you needed to have the quiet time. And then when you're done with that, you go into the social areas. You go into the water cooler. You get coffee and you hang out with people. Like that's your mental refresher. You need to have those breaks being alone in a room for 12 hours straight works sometimes, but it's not a very healthy thing to do every day. Yeah, I do have that that issue. But at the same time, yeah, I, I, it's difficult, right? I'm not, I don't think there's a really good answer other than literally just kind of setting boundaries and trying to say this is for this time, this is for this time, but there's always going to be exceptions. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, it's good to set some kind of boundary. It's also hard to kind of box yourself in because... Some days you kind of come to work, maybe your morning is your best time usually. And then if you box that as your coding time, maybe you're just not feeling it that morning or, you know, sure. you wake up with a bad day, it happens, right? So yeah, I think absolutely. I think about my days when I took my, I took Agile course and, we, and our professor had this thing where he would put on his customer hat. They put a hat on where he's in customer mode and took it off when he's in professor mode. So maybe that would be something to, to try to do as a visual cue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's wearing the boss hat right now. <laughs> we can go ask him questions. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Could... You were, you were going to say something. I, I kind of cut you off. Were you going to say something, Mason? Oh, he's wearing the boss out right now. I'm afraid to ask him questions. <laughs> <laughs> it is very much a kind of a, a softer side of, of managing time here because, you know, we deal in a world of machines and computer code that can do the same thing over and over again, but we aren't that. So we're this soft, squishy thing operating in this area of hard machinery and it's really easy to start trying to manage people as if they were a server and they were something that could repeat a task on a schedule no matter what and then you just you take those metrics and if they're performing bad at that moment like you go and fix something but we're we're not that at all like we're not even close to being able to do those sorts of things and i think for very good reasons but it takes a different set of expectations about what we do and how we work in order to create an environment where we can get the best out of ourselves and the best of, of the people that, that we work with and having some compassion about it and not just looking at individual metrics that kind of have sort of a harsh edge to it. 
is a big start to that. That's why I like looking at rolling averages and trends and those sorts of things. Because if you have an off day, you have an off day. And that's being a human. Those sorts of things get averaged out. And when you're looking at trends over weeks and over months, like that's when you can really start to see if a team's performance is actually going up or down or or just staying steady. Looking at it day to day, it's just too close of a focus for for a person or a set of people to be judged by. Everyone's got their their days, especially in this last year. All right, we're kind of getting toward the end of our time. I am I am curious if people want to dive more into this. It sounds like software.com has a lot of the tools. Is there more material out there too that people can go like read or listen to or watch or anything? Yeah, so we have a blog. It's called SRC Source. And there's a lot of good content on there. There's a lot of data analytics, like what happened to people during this last election, what happened during the holidays and and from a, a data's point of view on that. And that's really interesting. And yeah, check out software.com. And you can, I post sometimes on LinkedIn. So Mason McLeod on LinkedIn. You can find me there. That's interesting. You talked about the politics and stuff there. Just for a second. I don't know if you've seen it yet, but there's a blog post out by Jason Freed mm-hmm. about the base camp changes. And yeah, they basically said that they were going to take that off of their instance of base camp. And I mean, uh, the feelings aside, right, as far as, you know, should you or shouldn't you, just from a purely performance or efficiency thing real quick, I'm wondering if you think that's going to help or hurt based on how people react and based on not having that around? Well, I based on what we've seen, and I can kind of draw some some parallels from what we saw happen during the last presidential election in terms of focus and and distraction through that. It was highly distracting for a developer productivity in general, particularly in the U.S., but globally as well. And you can you can actually see in a series of charts that we have in it's in our blog post a sort of steady decline as the weeks got closer to election day of productivity globally, and then the week after it was all done and everyone was done generally done counting everything and all the the battleground states were had called their winner, everything went back to green and and productivity rose back up again. Because people just like had this sigh of relief and just that it was over, no matter you know who the outcome was. It was just a stressful time to go through as everything was being mm-hmm. broadcast everywhere. So drawing from that, there's plenty of things that are distracting about the current situations from productivity. And realize I'm describing a lot of very important things as distracting. But in just in this narrow point of view here. Right. But in for their decision, I think people are going to be engaged in those discussions or they're going to be engaged in reading about that and consuming content about that, no matter if it's on the internal business system or if if they're just going to new sites or they're going to Twitter or they're going to Facebook in order to to interact with it. It's a it's it's very much on the the human side of things. This is a human behavior. We're all interested in it and and at our own level and, and want to interact with it. So it being inside versus being outside of the business system, it'll, I mean, I guess it'll probably help because whenever you're looking at the business system, it won't be there to, to pull your attention away. So, I mean, they'll probably come out with like a, a net, sort of efficiency gain there by doing that. But I don't think they're doing it for that reason. Like, no, they're not. I was just yeah. curious because, yeah, they're, they're doing it from the standpoint of, well, I'm not going to put words in Jason's mouth, but this this is what our focus is. And that's not it is basically a yeah. lot of it. And then kind of just people's feelings about this stuff and whether or not they want that on their systems or not and have it be an issue that people are discussing on corporate systems for all the other reasons that you could make that call. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was just curious since we've got you here and you talk about the productivity. I was just curious 
it, it, is there going to be a measurable difference in these other areas that we're discussing here? And so that's I, that's interesting that you can kind of come along and say, yeah, possibly, but people may just pick up their dang phone. And yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> they might. Yeah, and I I think actually the the bigger or not bigger, but one of the interesting things about that story is that they're also repositioning how Basecamp itself talks about politics, like because they have plenty of opinions right. that they voice from their company most recently a lot about antitrust issues with apple and mm -hmm. google and 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 those sorts of companies so realigning because they're not just going at a person-to-person -person level they're doing it at the company level like maybe they it seems that they felt that you know the company speaking about political things wasn't right anymore right. either and so they're just taking it to their personal voices instead of bringing everyone along with them whether they want to or not by by saying base camp says this right yeah interesting but i think i think they'll get some efficiency gains as well cool all right well let's go ahead and do some picks hey folks i don't know if you've noticed but i've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top five percent of developers in the field if you're looking to level up figure out how to contribute more get the career you want get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want then you should check out the most valuable dev summit I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit, and you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Alan, do you want to start us off with picks? Yeah, I've been reading this book called uh, Practitioner's Guide to Graph Data because I've been trying to get more and more into GraphQL, and so far it's been interesting. I'm still reading it, but I'm pretty happy with it so far. Yeah, so that's definitely my, my first pick. My next pick is definitely also my desk. So it's been very useful to kind of stand up and walk around. So my home to here is about five minutes walk. And so having a desk where I can actually stand up and sit down is, is actually quite nice. So there's a local company out here called, I think it's called Freemax. From, I got it a couple of years ago and uh, I'm pretty happy with it. So that's definitely, I'll have to pass you the, the link to them. So if you're in Asia area, they're pretty good. How about you guys? I'll throw in some picks. So I've got a couple. First one is, my phone finally started to die. I'm not one of those people that gets the new iPhone when it comes out. In fact, the new iPhone coming out usually means that I can get a nicer phone for less money. And so right now I have an iPhone 7 Plus and I'm upgrading now to an iPhone 8 Plus. People are going, uh, Chuck, iPhone 12's out. Yes, I know this. But I found a company called Back Market. It's kind of like Black Market, but it's Back Market. And they had pretty good deals on used iPhones that have been sort of rehabbed and refurbished. And so I bought one off of there and I get it on Thursday. So I'm kind of excited about that. This one, what it does is it periodically says, I can't find the SIM card and then tells me I don't have service. And so that's kind of a deal killer on a phone. So it's time to get a new one. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. The other pick that I have is, I guess I'll have to pick it next week. We'll just uh, leave it at backmarket.com. I do want to remind people to go check out Dev Influencers Podcast. It's at devinfluencers.com slash podcast. And yeah, we'll leave it there. Mason, what are your picks? Sure. So you had talked about Jira and that you dislike it. I too am a disliker of Jira. And whenever I joined <laughs> software over a year ago, it was we were running Jira and Confluence. And it was the first thing that I switched out and shifted over to Notion. And mm. I've been loving it. I think it's incredibly flexible. You can make kind of whatever you want with these tables and databases that all connect to each other. There aren't a lot of automations with it. And right now, I kind of like that. That it's, it allows me to be more holistic with my projects in describing them and the tickets so that like I always have this this bad habit of trying to be as detailed and prescriptive as possible whenever I'm writing tickets and it takes all the fun out of being an engineer. And it also means that I get it wrong a lot of the time because I'm 
trying to define everything before it's done. So being able to go from a, a more holistic customer focused approach for it. And I, I feel like Notion in the way that the tool is set up in the style of it helps me do like the tools that you use kind of influence how you use them, I think. Mm -hmm. And this one's just it's the fastest between reading documentation to writing documentation, like every page is edible, you just start writing. It's super fluid. I really like notion. That's I think that'll be my pick. It's funny, because the lack of automations is what made me leave it. So yeah. And I, I can see that like, I have a, a team of 12 engineers. And I've done hyper growth and built teams really fast from like, you know, 10 people to 102 years and those sorts of things. And scaling out Jira to do that with the automations and everything. And is that's kind of what it's what it's geared for. I have a nice team size, I think, for me that that allows it to stay non automated and still manageable. And I just I don't know, right now, I'm really liking the feel of that versus something that that is completely automated and moves in lockstep. Sometimes like, things get out of out of sync, but they're high level enough that it's like when it's done, and we go through the QA process and everything that we just mark the ticket and then it's and it's done. Cool. All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up. Thanks for coming. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right, folks, we're going to wrap this up. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, Max out, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.